most of you know me, right? I mean, you may not know my name, but you know I'm the lady that does the children's sermon. So if you don't know my name, it's Margie. You can call me Margie. But what if I walked around all day like this? Would you know me? Would you know me if you saw me on the street like this? No, you wouldn't know me? So if you were around me a lot and I always had this over my face, would you get to know me? How would you get to know me if you couldn't see my face? How would you get to know me? (laughs) Well, it's not that funny. (laughs) Okay, so if I always had this over my face, you wouldn't know me my by looking at my face, but maybe you would get to know me by my voice, maybe, or we could talk together and you'd know the things that I like and the things that I don't like. Or if nothing else, you would say, oh, there goes that lady with a scarf over her face. You'd You'd know me that way, right? Okay, so maybe it's easier to know people if they don't have a scarf on their face, right? So today is Transfiguration Sunday. You know what that word means? Transfiguration. It means a change in appearance. And our Bible story today is about a day when Jesus took three of his disciples and they went up on the mountain And when they were up there, something really weird happened. Jesus changed. He transfigured. It was like he had a light inside him, a a real bright light inside him. And the light came on and his face shone and his body shined and his clothes glowed. He was just... He was just like a bright light. And the disciples, the men who were with him, even though they had known Jesus for quite a long time, they finally knew that Jesus is God. And Jesus was transfigured, and they finally saw him for what he really is, because Jesus is God. Jesus was God when he was walking on the earth. Sometimes we see people and we think we know them, and then something happens and our minds are changed. So let's talk about your parents. What are your parents like? What do your parents do for you? What does mom do for you, Wyatt? She does work. What kind of work? She takes care of her kids. Yeah? How does she take care of you? What does she do for you, Charlie? What does mom and dad do for you? They buy you clothes and you make you food. What, What does your mom do for you? 
or dad? Well, clothes and food are a good place to start, aren't they? Do they love you? Do your parents love you? Sure they do. So you might think that's all your parents are. They're people that feed you and clothe you and give you a house to live in. And they love you. And you love them, right? But when you get older, you're going to see your parents differently. When my mom and my dad got old, I had to help take care of them. Because my dad was sick. He was in bed for a whole year. I had to help take care of my dad. So we see people differently as we get older. Or things change. We may see people and we think they're just stuck-up snobs. And after you get to know them, they're nice people. So things can change. People can be transfigured in your mind, and you might see people differently. So don't judge people just right away. Get to know them before you decide what they're like, okay? Let's pray. God, help us to know that everybody is special in your sight, and we need to give everybody a chance to be our friends to get to know us, and we need to get to know them so that we can uh, be friends to them and help show God's love for them. Amen. Thank you for coming up. And I'll see you next week with a scarf over my head, okay? Our scripture lesson this morning comes to us from the book of Matthew, chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. I'll be reading from the New International Version this morning. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, is it good for us to be here if you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The Word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Loving and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock, and our Redeemer. Amen. Over the last few weeks, we have been looking at Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, and today we are moving on to a different event, where Jesus is still on a mountain. Uh, this is the Transfiguration. Uh, the, to transfigure means to change. The word in Greek is the word metamorphosis. 
So in this story, we see Jesus changing before the eyes of the three disciples that he invites on the mountain with him. Last week, as we talked about Jesus' teaching on anger, I suggested that Jesus' teaching really only makes sense in light of the Old Testament, because that was the scripture that Jesus knew and the people that he was preaching to. That's what they knew as well. This morning's story also only makes sense when we recognize that many of the things that happen in this story on the mountain were allusions to things that happened in the scripture of the Old Testament. Those connections would have been apparent to the people uh, of the early church, early Christians who had grown up Jewish, but they might not be as apparent to us today. But it's in those connections where we can unpack all that was being communicated to the disciples and to us on that mountain. So let's dive in. Our story begins... After six days, Jesus takes three of his disciples, James, John, and Peter, up onto a mountain by themselves. At this point, we don't know why he's choosing to do this, but perhaps Jesus knew that this was coming, that they were going to have this experience, and he knew that in particular, these three disciples would need to have this experience as well. Already we have some things to unpack. In, in just that little sentence, there's already things. First, the phrase, after six days, is significant. We can, When we read it, we see it just as a chronological marker that whatever they were doing, the, the last thing that we read about happened six days before. But in the ears of the early Christians... And with that Jewish background, this is significant because it would actually remind them of Moses. In fact, the combination of six days and Jesus choosing three of his leaders to go on the mountain would have sounded exactly like something that Moses had done in the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus, God is establishing a new covenant with the people of Israel, and he tells Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel. But you see, there are three of them that are named, three leaders to go with Moses, just as there are three leaders in the disciples that Jesus takes with him. Later in the same chapter in Exodus, we read, for six days, a cloud covered the mountain. Six days. Now, if this was all we had to go on, I would say that that's pretty... Not a strong connection. But we, as we continue on in the story, you will see that they all join together to create this pretty powerful narrative that harkens back to Moses and his experience with the Lord. So once they get on the mountain, Jesus is transfigured before his disciples. He's changed. The main changes are that his face now shines like the sun and his clothes become as white as the light. Hmm. I wonder if where we've heard about people shining in scriptures before. Does anyone have a guess? Moses. Kathy's on the ball this morning. Let's return once again to the book of Exodus and Moses. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony, which are the Ten Commandments, in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. And again, but whenever he, who was Moses, entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. 
And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. You see, whenever Moses was in the presence of the Lord, which again began on a mountain, he would be radiant from the encounter. So there's this connection between God's presence and being radiant. There's a connection between the divine and light, glowing. So when the disciples are on that mountain and Jesus, with Jesus, and the first thing that happens is that he changes and he starts to glow, they know that they are somehow in the presence of the divine. The difference between Jesus and Moses, however, is that Moses had to be in God's presence and Jesus himself is God. The light and glow come from within. Where Moses was just reflecting the radiance of God, Jesus is emanating God's radiance. So from the beginning of the story, there is already that suggestion and perhaps confirmation that Jesus is the Son of God, divine in his own right. But we've only just begun. There is still more to unpack. Once Jesus begins to shine, once he has been transfigured, two people show up on the mountain to begin to talk with him. And not just any two people, Moses and Elijah. Now, I said before that if all we had were the six days and the three leaders that were named, it would be a pretty flimsy connection with Moses. And the shining is a much stronger connection. But if people still weren't thinking Moses yet... They were now because Moses has literally shown up in the story. We are meant to connect to Jesus, what Jesus is doing to the experiences that Moses had on the mountain with God. The disciples knew who Moses was. They knew who Elijah was. These were two of the great fathers of the faith. They had incredible legacies as being faithful. They were known to be people, to be men of God. And so again, there's this clearly divine presence and there's this divine activity that is happening during the transfiguration. And then Peter. Oh, I love Peter. We're going to spend our time uh, starting next week looking at the discipleship of Peter. But Peter inserts himself into the action. I'm sure at this point he was so overwhelmed by what was happening and he wanted to do something about it. So he declares to Jesus, I say that nicely, but imagine you're in the presence of Jesus and you decide, I know, I'm going to tell Jesus what to do. That's a good idea. So he declares to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Peter doesn't know what he's talking about. But he does know that he doesn't want this experience to end. And I don't think any of us can blame him. He's trying to make it last. He's trying to keep it going. If I build shelters, they will stay and I can stay in their presence. Notice, though, that Peter tells Jesus that this is good for us to be here as though Peter is in charge of what is happening. So he starts to make plans. But Peter isn't in charge. In fact, we find out that while Peter is still talking, he's still trying to get this shelter idea up and going, right? And he's just blabbing his mouth. God actually cuts him off. A bright cloud envelops them. A bright cloud. 
Can anyone take a guess where we might have seen a cloud on a mountain before? Moses. Back to Exodus 24. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. Within the cloud was the presence of God and it's happening again. God is literally cutting Peter off with his presence in that cloud. And not only that, a voice begins to speak from within the cloud. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now this time, it's you sitting here are the ones who say, hmm, I feel like I've heard that speech before. Uh, can anyone tell me where they've heard this speech before? It's not an Old Testament thing. It's from Jesus' baptism. Uh, from Matthew chapter 3, 16 and 17, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lightning on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Pretty similar, right? Actually, it's word for word the same until the very end. There's an additional phrase used in the transfiguration speech. Listen to him. This directive is for the sake of the disciples that had come to the mountain with Jesus, but the disciples were terrified that God had just spoke to them, that they fell face down on the ground and didn't get up until Jesus came over and told them to get up. And when they did, they saw no one except Jesus. The experience was over. So the question that remains is why did this happen? And why did Jesus bring the disciples onto the mountain to be witnesses and ultimately participants in the transfiguration? I think there are a few reasons that the disciples were invited onto the mountain for the transfiguration. First, this experience was confirmation for them that Jesus was, in fact, the Son of God. All of what they saw leads up to that. Everything they see, everything they experience, the shining, the appearance of Moses and Elijah, the cloud, all of it points to the fact that Jesus himself is divine. Right before the transfiguration, Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But he didn't fully understand even what he meant by that. And so Jesus takes him on the mountain to show him what he has already confessed. Jesus is different. He's in the same line as Moses and Elijah, but as important people of the faith. But Jesus isn't just a great man. He's not just a great leader or a great prophet. He is divine. Later, we will come to understand Jesus as a part of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The transfiguration was an opportunity for those early disciples to have a glimpse of Jesus in his full divine glory. When Jesus shines, it is not a reflection of God. He shines because he is God. Second, if Jesus is divine then he has the authority of God and what he says matters. And I think this is the important point for the disciples and the important point for you and me to consider. 
when the cloud envelops the disciples and we hear the voice of God echoing the words from Jesus' baptism, words that the disciples would not have known or heard because they were not present at the baptism. But there's this other phrase that's added, listen to him. You know, we've been looking at those teachings of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount because as disciples, it is important that we listen to Jesus to not only know what he taught, but to listen to it, to obey it. God on that mountain affirms who Jesus is, affirms that he has the authority to teach what he is teaching, and therefore we are to listen and to obey. Remember that this voice has just cut off Peter, who was trying to take control of the situation only moments before. And no doubt Peter had tried to take charge multiple times before, just knowing his personality and his passion. But that wasn't his role. His role was to listen to Jesus and to let Jesus lead. I think so often when we read these stories from the Gospels, we find ourselves in Peter. He is us. He is eager but unsure. He's trying, but he doesn't always get it right. So like I mentioned, starting next week, we're actually going to spend Lent looking at Simon Peter. And I think by seeing his story of discipleship, we will grow in our own discipleship. The lessons that Peter needs to learn are often the very same lessons that we need to learn. And so I hope that you hear these things this morning. One. Sometimes God invites you to have a mountaintop experience, but there's always a purpose to it. In my early adulthood, my mountaintop experiences happened at camp. All through college and through my early years of youth ministry, camp was always the place I could go to get my soul filled. I would find myself reconnected to God in ways that no other place could facilitate. And I think that on that mountain, Peter was confirmed in his faith. He had a clear vision of that he was right to follow Jesus, and it gave him strength for what was to come. And that's the important part, that these experiences are to bolster us for the work that God has laid out for us to do. Ephesians 2.10, we are Christ's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good work, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. These moments of clarity, these moments of feeling and knowing God's presence are to give us the strength to do the work ahead. And God had big plans for those three disciples that he brought with him, but especially Peter. And God has big plans for us as well. So we need to embrace those opportunities for mountaintop experiences, but also not be tempted to chase after them or try to remain in them indefinitely. They are only moments, but they serve to equip us for the rest of our lives. Second, we must listen to Jesus. It is not enough just to believe that he existed. It is not enough to believe that he died on the cross for you so you can be saved from your sin. You must actually listen to Jesus. You must follow Jesus because you have been saved for a reason. We've talked a lot in the last couple of years about being disciples of Jesus, that 
that is what we are called to do and to be, and we cannot follow someone we are not listening to. And how do we listen to Jesus? We read what he taught. We pray. We wrestle in community on how to live it out. Because to listen to Jesus is to do what he taught. It doesn't mean that we always get it right, much like Peter didn't always get it right. But if we show up, if we listen, if we try, the Holy Spirit will work within us and God will use us for the sake of the kingdom. And third, and this is the hardest, we must let go of control. We must stop trying to tell God how to fit into our lives or our vision of what our lives should be like and surrender. God is going to do what God is going to do, but he invites us to be a part of it. Peter had a good plan cooking up in his mind about what they should do on that mountain and God interrupts Peter with a better plan. We must let go of this idea that God can fit neatly into our lives on one hour a week or one hour a day. God needs to be in control. Imagine what God could do with you if you let him. This was a tough lesson for Peter, and I will tell you it is a tough lesson for me, one that I am constantly learning But I can also tell you from experience that when you surrender to God, things you never thought possible can happen. So as you ponder the transfiguration, may you be open to the mountaintop experiences that God invites you into. May you listen to and obey the Son of God. And may you surrender yourself all of you, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the kingdom. Amen.